Thanks for coming to Delaware Park. My name is E to the M-A-C-F-R-E-E-Z-Y, future D-R in the making. <laughs> that's like a radio voice. That's the thing that I just I wouldn't I wouldn't be I can't look at you when you do that. That's the thing is I can I can play. Don't want you know. Oh don't, but I have to have my eyes closed because if I look at you while you do that one more time, how many times have you practiced that? I've never practiced that in my life. That was no. It's just natural. There's no way that's natural from the veins. edition of the Growing Up Young podcast with me, your host, Eric Franz. I know the holidays are just around the corner, so we wanted to deliver you something a little different this time around that I hope you'll enjoy. I also want to take a moment to thank you all for sticking with us throughout these past few episodes. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. So, uh, welcome to the Growing Up Young podcast. Um, you already know who I am. My name is Eric, aka E to the M A C F R Double E Z Y. Today, we'll be flipping the script, uh, and I will be interviewed by um, the actual executive producer of this podcast, Nick Kruger. I think it's easy to be the executive producer when you're the only one producing it, to be honest. It's not like it's like, don't like throw that on there like I'm some sort of accredited. It, sound, it sounds better. It though. does sound like, better. Like, like you make Like I went to school decisions. for it. Yeah. Like I don't write Ozark. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, you know. You do have that screenplay. Though. I do. Yeah. I, I do have a signed Ozark screenplay. It's not, I mean, it's not that oh, big of a deal, but I know Jason like Bateman. It. You know him? I, yeah. Like on an individual basis. But, sure. Okay. Maybe um, I should pay you. I think this this is this is a long time coming, right? I mean, the podcast is what like a whole two months old at this point, mm-hmm. and we haven't gotten Very a whole early. lot of insight into exactly who you are. So I, th- I thought it was important to to do this where we actually ask you a few questions. So you might be sitting there thinking at home, why is there a random person asking Eric questions? I didn't actually press the download button. Where did this podcast come from? Why am I actually here right now? And that's a fair question because I think I, I've been there too. But um, I think that I, I've been told that I, that I have the face for radio. So that's why I think I'm, I'm on here right now. So <laughs> That's funny. Yo, um, Nick and I have been friends for what? Like seven years? Not more than that. Yeah. Because we graduated four years ago. And yeah, but we, but we were orientation leaders like back in what, 2012, 2013? When we were babies. Yeah. Which, by the way, look up that that picture if you can. Go on Eric's Instagram or on his Facebook and look just all the way back to 2012. Because that was my favorite version of Eric was when he was... No, let's not do that. Pretty much the same height, but like 80 mm. pounds lighter, something like that. He looked yeah. like a child. So, as did I. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um we, we met each other at Westchester. Uh, one wouldn't have thought that we, we'd be fast friends, but I, I thought it was a pretty yeah. quick connection. I don't even know how that happened. Oh, I do. <laughs> I, I definitely do because he'd walk around with a basketball in Goshen Hall. We were orientation leaders. And for a summer, they just had us stay all in the same dorm together. So I know that Eric would walk around with a basketball. And I thought, well, I'm hot shit. I'm 5'10 and white. I can easily beat somebody that's on the literal basketball team. 
in one-on-one. And so 21 <laughs> nothing the first game I lost uh, because Yo, Eric doesn't let me win. Uh, he makes sure that I don't. But I think I've won twice, and it's just because we lifted like an hour before and he's too tired. But normally... Twice out of how many? Uh, 60? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want to make sure that something, we like put that out. So, there. Something yeah. like that. But but my my best memory I would actually say um would probably be this time that Eric tried to dunk on me. And again, he's six eight. He can he can go on his tippy toes and he can dunk. And he couldn't he couldn't jump high enough, so he got stuffed by the rim. And it was one of the, the better moments in my life. Not because I'm a competitive Yo. person or anything like that, it was because it's actually he wanted to to really to to as they say posterize me. So he wanted to go up and actually make this a huge moment. And he got stuffed by the rim, and a lot of people saw it. And it was one of my better memories. So anyway, why am I here? Right, we're going back to the actual beginnings here. So the the whole idea today, folks, is that I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to turn the mic over. So I'm going to ask Eric some questions, some questions that you guys have actually pre-submitted on Instagram for those of you who forgot to do it, didn't do it. Well, it's your loss. You're never going to get to ask Eric anything. Okay. Or <laughs> we might do this again. So your opportunities there. Um, I guess so. Uh, I think, you know, five minutes into the intro, we haven't asked a question yet. So we might as well get started right away. Let's do it. I mean, what have you, what have you uh, been up to lately? What's really been your day-to-day since oh. March? My day-to-day since March? Yeah, every single day. What do you have going on? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I, I don't even know. I feel like this year kind of just is coming to a close in such a blink. But um, uh, I think the big thing is, like, me being, like, a student, me going to school. Um, so I've been in my first semester of a doctoral program. Um, that was definitely something different. Um, to be in class during a pandemic um, at a doctoral level was just something that I don't think anything would have prepared me for. It was just a very different experience. So um, that's kind of what I've been up to most of my time outside of work, um, outside of the work that I do, like my real life job. Um, Yeah, it's just school and work. I mean, what do you actually do though for a living, right? I think a lot of us here might might have a good understanding. Are you, uh, you know, stripping on the side? What is exactly your your um, day job and your night job? Yeah, so that's my um, like undercover job, right, um, right, right, right. And the whole stripping thing, but <laughs> no. Um, so I'm an employer relations specialist, I guess you can call um, for Westchester University. So um, a lot of my job is um, helping build relationships with employers. Um, so we are. Um, able to direct students to um, internship and job opportunities. Um, and the other half of my job is kind of helping students with their professional documentation. So I'm um, helping them with their resumes, cover letters, um, helping them prep for interviews. Um, and the recent development in my job is kind of leading the whole like social media initiative um, for our office and helping us kind of form a presence online. So that's uh, pretty much encompasses everything I do with my job right now. What do you think brought you back to Westchester, by the way? I think that, you know, we, for those of us, uh, again, that have known you for a while, you're, you're a Westchester kid at heart. So uh, maybe take us through really quickly uh, a little bit of your beginnings at Westchester and, and maybe, you know, your journey through New York and then why you came back. Yeah. Um, so what brought me back to Westchester? I mean, Westchester made me. <laughs> so That's right. Um, when I found out about this position at Westchester, there was... 
very little that was going to deter me from applying for the position. Um, but went to Westchester as a as an undergrad. Um, first applied as a biology major um, back when I was in high school. Um, so because I'm from an African family and they kind of I'm not saying they we um, <laughs> kind of um, put a lot of value in certain occupations. So the lawyers and the doctors and um, the engineers and the, the scientists and those kinds of positions. So uh, biology was just kind of something that I was kind of pushed to, to do, because um, I was just kind of equally decent at um, all the subjects that I went to school for. So I first went to Westchester, um, declared a biology major uh, in my second year. Um, in my first semester, quickly learned that I did not like science classes. <laughs> um, biology was cool, but chemistry was just not for me. Um, all these equations and all these kind of processes you had to go through to do things that just didn't really make sense to me. They, they didn't feel tangible. Um, mm -hmm. they, they didn't feel like what I was doing right now, I could translate it into something that I could see helping people. That mm -hmm. was just me. Um, and that last part of the sentence, like the helping people was something that I enjoyed doing. Cause when I went to Westchester, um, after my first year, I was an orientation leader. So that was a big part of like me kind of getting into the whole helping people, mm -hmm. helping people acclimate to Westchester because I love Westchester so much. Um, so I decided to uh, pick psychology um, as my actual major that I wanted to pursue myself without the influence of my parents and my um, family because psych was just, I just enjoyed people. Um, as someone who kind of moved to this country um, at a young age and kind of had to figure out which group I fit in and kind of having a lot of trial and error moments. Um, I was fascinated with people. Um, and that's something that drew me to psych and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning um, about what made people tick. I enjoyed learning about um, what made people happy, what, what made people sad, all those different things that, that comes with psych. And I decided to um, kind of go to graduate school for it, um, finish that. And then Worked for a little bit. My first job out of graduate school was in SUNY Oswego. Um, Oswego is in upstate New York. I didn't know where it was um, until I got the call that I was offered the um, interview. So I was just kind of applying, just like anyone who was coming out of college trying to look for any job. Um, and applied there, ended up getting it, spent about a year and a half over there, and then got this job back at Westchester and came back home. Like you said, it was a no-brainer, right? The the place that made you, you come back to, you, you took the job right away. What do you see in your sort of immediate future here? You're going to stick around Westchester, I assume, right? Yeah. Um, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to stick around Westchester because, um, I'm like I said, I'm in the doctoral program. So um, one of the benefits of working at Westchester is that they help tremendously with the finances with that. So um, I don't see myself going anywhere anytime soon because I love the job that I'm doing. Um, more importantly, I love the people that I work with, um, which I know not a lot of people just from helping people get positions and talking to employers and everything. Um, not a lot of people kind of have that um, type of situation where they genuinely enjoy the people that, that they work with. So, um, yeah, I'm going to stick around at least for the foreseeable future. That's what I figured. So other than work, school, of course, you've got that going on. What else you got in your life? Recently, um, I've kind of picked up the whole working out thing. Um, 
it kind of, especially during the pandemic, sitting idle started getting to me. So um, kind of figuring out ways where when it was warmer out, it was a lot of the outdoor running and all that kind of stuff because you decided to challenge me on a lot of- That's right. And you failed. Running things because um, you just run way too, like it's just I, a ridiculous amount. Like, I mean, you set a goal, you have to hit the goal. I mean, that's, that's it. I'm just, I'm, I'm 6'8", like I'm 265 pounds. Like- if I run for miles and miles and miles, like my joints are just going to disintegrate. And people might stare. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of got into this working out thing. But, yeah, that's something that is a priority in my life where I spend a lot of time um, kind of making sure I'm taking up, I'm taking care of myself in that area um, so I can tackle anything else that I have going on in my life. I think you're definitely a goals guy and you, you can say that for the, the working out as well. So where do you think that actually comes from? Your upbringing? I think that comes from like me wanting to be better for the people around me. Like I think um, I've been fortunate enough to have such a diverse group of people in my circle that me wanting to be better kind of has a lot to do with the people that I have around me. Um, seeing like people like you kind of advance in your job the way that you are seeing people um, like my girlfriend, Catherine, kind of doing and the things that she's she's doing. And um, some of my other friends and my uh, mom, who always seems to have like the best advice to give about random stuff. Um, and it might not even be anything like monumental, but just having conversations with people in my circle just makes me want to be better. Um, so that's where it kind of comes from to where I can't let myself be in a space where I'm not constantly trying to be a better version of myself. Because if I'm not focusing on that, then I find myself focusing on trying to be better than other people, which is not a good space to, mm. and to be in. So that's kind of where it comes from. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I think that translates actually a lot into why you're doing this right now, right? So can you tell the listeners just a little bit about... Why this podcast? Why did you decide to start it? And sort of more importantly, actually, why do you decide to keep going with it? For those who have met me, um, whether it's briefly or know me, I'm extra. Like, <laughs> I can be extra. Um, and it's something that I hold with pride because I just like love to put myself in situations that help me learn more about myself. And podcasting has been something that I've had at the back of my mind for a long time. And part of sitting in this space where we were on lockdown for a while and having a lot of things to, to think about, I decided to jump into it because one, it is something that I've always wanted to do. But two, again, like I've been so fortunate to meet so many people in my life that a lot of where I am now is a result of the experiences that I've had with these different people. So to be able to share their stories is something that I think is so great. And even if only a handful of people listen, it's something that brings me joy because I'm like, wow, this is someone that I know someone else in my life can relate to, whether it's just one person. Um, it just brings me so much joy. And there's just they just have such cool stories. So I just wanted to put it out there to just showcase these amazing stories from people that other people in my life can relate to. I think a good motto for you to have that you've had throughout this whole thing is I always want the guests to be better than me, right? I always want to have somebody that's on that has a perspective that I don't or, or they're better in a certain area. Yeah. Again, they're better at hosting. That's why they're 
doing that right now, right? Those types of things. So I think that's actually really <laughs> smart uh, to keep that going. So, uh, so actually getting back to you though, we're going to ask some of those Instagram questions uh, right now. So the first one was, how do you know that your current path that you're in right now is actually the right path for you? I think a big thing is I don't wake up hating what I'm doing. When I realized that I got to a space where I don't look forward to Fridays and I don't dread Mondays, that's when I knew I was doing something that I really enjoyed because that hasn't been the case in past jobs that I've had. And not necessarily in this industry, more like growing up when I worked at the movie theater, when I worked, um, I couldn't, don't even remember it at, at this point, but I've had like a bunch of different jobs where you looked forward to being off because you dreaded the work that you were doing. And when I got to a space where the work that I was doing was fulfilling for me because I could see the, the impact that I was making, um, I could see the change that was happening with people that I was meeting with for the better, that it made me want to keep doing what I'm doing and be better at what I'm doing um, to get more of that um, experience, not only for myself, but for the people that I'm working with. So that's when I knew, okay, this is something that Eric, you should probably stick with this and kind of drove me to wanting to pursue this doctoral degree because of it um, is just to get better at it um, to the point where I'm doing more of what I'm doing on a larger scale. Yeah. And actually talk about that more a little bit. So people want to know why the PhD. So why, why is your boy going to be a doctor? You know, why is that the exact path that you chose? Think about the sound of Dr. Franz. Better yet, like Dr. Emac. No, no, no. You had me at Dr. Franz. I don't know about right? the, I don't think I can call you Dr. Like, Emac. That just sounds, oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, it was just, it felt like the natural progression of things. And in my job right now, I've had the experience of being in a lot of different rooms where there are a lot of people with letters before and after their, their names making certain decisions, right? Um, and nothing against them. They, they have a vast amount of experience, but I feel like there's a lot that I can bring to the table um, with the perspective that I have. And in my field, unfortunately, they don't listen to you as much if you don't have some of those letters before and after your name. So it felt like the natural progression because I wanted to start making an impact now. And why not kind of put myself in a position to do that sooner rather than later? Um, so kind of pursuing this doctoral degree felt like the natural progression for me and something that I wanted to do because I wanted to start making a change that I know that the higher education industry needs right now um, and start kind of moving towards that. I mean, I totally get it. I think it's it's 50% put some respect on your name and, and 50% it's something that's actually necessary for you to actually be able to do all the things that you want to do. Exactly. Speaking of doing that, actually, apparently you've, you've made the impression on people to, to think that you're an expert in some fields. So uh, we actually got a question in from one of the <laughs> listeners. Uh, what financial tips do you have for those who want to get another degree? As somebody who's you know in school for now the third time, it ain't cheap, right? Mm -hmm. I know you've mentioned before Westchester's helping out a little bit with the bill, but mm -hmm. but think about it from that perspective. Financial tips for somebody that's in school. This is a very controversial thing that I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it anyway. Um, first of all, because I truly do believe this. Second of all, it's my podcast, so <laughs> whatever. Um, 
I don't think college is worth it. Preach. The price. Preach. Okay. Um, and as someone who work at who works at a higher education institution, that may be a controversial thing to say. With the price of college right now, what you get out of it is not worth that cost. When I was kind of going through college, I was first fortunate, extremely, extremely fortunate and blessed to be in the position where I had an athletic scholarship um, to go through my undergraduate degree. Um, so that I'm honestly, there are a lot of people I can thank for that because it wasn't like, oh, this was something that I figured out all on my own and I did that and it put me in a financial position to be successful. I had a lot of help from a lot of mentors, from my parents, all that. Um, but after graduation, I was told, um, and I forget exactly who told me this, I was told to never pay for graduate school because it wasn't worth it. And that was the first time I heard that going for a degree of some sort wasn't worth the money. And when I first heard about that, it was like, what are you talking about? Like, like this is like, this is a privilege one and people pay a lot to get this because it's worth something. Um, and I was told that no, like you, there are ways to navigate getting degrees without paying full price for it. Um, so I found something called graduate assistantships where you can work for the university um, and they either reimburse you or they pay for a certain number of credits based on how um, how many hours a week you're, you're going to be working for whatever department you're, you're going to be working for. So once I found that out, I was like, all right, that's it. Like me going to graduate school was going to be dependent on whether I get an opportunity to work for the university. Westchester just happened to be the best place for it. Um, and so I decided to pursue my degree there. And when I was thinking about a doctoral program, I was actually thinking about a doctoral program when I was up in upstate New York working there. Um, and there are institutions that will pay for your degree when you work for them as part of your employment benefit. And there are um, companies that do do that as well, where, where they offer you some kind of benefit to go back to school and to get a, a degree of some sort. So yes, Westchester was a no-brainer in terms of me applying to it and, and coming back home. But one of the driving factors was me looking at the benefits package that I was going to have if I did get the position and knowing that my um, cost for the program that I'm in was going to be fully covered. That was a big driving factor in, in me doing that, because if that wasn't there, I don't think I would be at Westchester right now because that was always a goal that I had in mind. So I navigated that kind of having that in my mind, understanding what the benefits of the different situations that I was going to find myself in um, and kind of did that. So um, I help students with that all day long. Um, and that's something that I'm a firm believer in is you can navigate getting a degree without paying full price. You might have to pay something, but it's not worth it paying the full price of what it is actually cost. Right. And that's right. And I think that's actually some refreshing advice to give, especially from somebody that's not only going through that right now, but somebody who, work, who works for the university as well. So right. I went through something similar with uh, a Westchester undergrad and I wanted to go to grad school at Westchester as well, kind of just keep it rolling, but they didn't offer tuition assistance as well as where I actually did go for my master's, Villanova, Bragg, and <laughs> they actually offered a full ride as well. So mm -hmm. I, I graduate assistantship for two years. They paid for it. 
if that wasn't the case, I don't think that I would have gone back to school, because right? That was a huge yeah. driving force behind it. I think I share a similar viewpoint that you do. You go and see employers sometimes and they say, you have to have this certain degree in order to get to this position. And I can tell you, you know, working in the corporate world, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's not something that we look at. Somebody who's hired people and somebody who's worked with others that hire on a day in and day out basis, that's not huge. It's basically... To get your foot in the door, maybe it helps to say you went to an esteemed program and you went through this, maybe. But to be completely honest with you, your character in your interview process plays a huge part in it. And that's actually the next question that we have, too, that somebody wants to know. Sticking with your expertise, this is something I know you know a whole lot about as a person who's never been denied a job, apparently. So <laughs> what advice do you have for, for the listeners to be able to, to actually just kill it in a job interview? <laughs> So first of all, I've never been denied a job. It's not like I've applied to a million jobs and I've had like a hundred percent streak in those. <laughs> um, but I think a part of the interview process that people miss because people focus on practicing answering questions, right? So you go into an interview and the first question is like, usually tell me about yourself or um, why this position, right? And it kind of all centers around them trying to get to know a little bit more about you. Um, People practice that question a lot, focusing on what they think they want the interviewer to hear as it relates to, to the position. But a lot of times, the people that do well are people that are able to show a little bit of themselves and their personality in the interviews that they go through. So yes, it's great to practice questions, knowing what what your strengths are, knowing what your challenges are, um, practicing situations, explaining how you've you've worked on a team and um, kind of who you are in 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 a team. Whether you're more of a leader, whether you're um, kind of someone that plays with your strengths, like all these different scenario questions are great to practice. But what people tend to miss is. These people are trying to figure out whether you're going to be a good fit for the team that they already have. Like they already have an idea that you can do the job, which is why you're getting that that interview in the first place. So they looked at your application materials and in their mind, they're saying, based on what I see now, they're pretty qualified. So, yes, they want to hear you articulate how qualified you are, but they're most of the time just trying to determine is this person going to be someone I'm going to enjoy working with if if they were part of the team or that they know and the team that they're going to be a part of and they can see you on, on that team? And if there's no personality shown in that interview, a lot of times that connection can't be made. So it's more difficult to offer you a position, even if you said everything the right way, they're going to offer it to, to someone that they can see themselves with. Um, and that's what I try to tell a lot of students that I work with. Um, and that's what I try to teach is yes, practice those questions, but you're the only you that's, that's out there. Um, and if you're able to articulate that above all else, nine times out of 10, you're going to be fine. And if you're not fine, it just means that that particular situation in that organization was not meant for you anyway. I'm a little thrown off. Honestly, I wasn't expecting your answer to be that on point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, like I I do this for a living, man. I, yeah, but you're so spot on. Again, coming from the corporate world that I come from, that's 
so on point is what you have to say right there is that qualification versus fit is a huge distinction. You wouldn't be in this interview if you weren't already considered for the job. You've, mm-hmm. you've got maybe 10 people, absolute max 10 people who are going to interview for a specific position. Usually it's about three or four. So you're in the top 10 and think about some of these roles that have about a hundred people that apply to it. You've already done so much of the work up front. You need to focus all of your attention on the actual fit. So learn as much as you can about this team ahead of time, about the company ahead of time to show I can mesh well with these people, right? I've had a manager say this before. This isn't you know, quite the right advice, but if I can get a beer with this person, then I can work with this person, that kind of thing. Right. So if I can socialize with you, if I can see a fit outside of work, that type of thing. And I don't think there's enough focus on that actually from career counselors and from other folks in the industry. If I'm being honest, I was never given that advice when I came out of school. And I kind of wish that I was again, uh, if you're giving that advice out today, that's actually pretty great. So, um, do you have a sort of any lasting advice to give to people who might be either leaving school right now sometime soon maybe somebody who's changing careers in today's environment right now in the job market that it is today any sort of lasting advice it's very obvious globally the situation that we are all in right now pandemic right sure so i think the first piece of advice that i would give is you can expect there to be the same number of opportunities and the same type of opportunities that are available now as they were at this point last year, because the world is in a completely different place. So when people are looking for jobs or are on on the market, they're graduating in December or they're graduating um, coming this this fall or graduated in in May in the heart of it all. um, When you kind of shift your perspective on understanding that the there are a lot of people that are in this same position and it has, it doesn't have to do with you as you not being where you are supposed to be. That attitude can kind of shift the energy that you put towards applying for positions. So I think that's the first and foremost thing that I tried to push that, that I would give advice to anyone who's kind of in the situation right, right now trying to get any position. Um, And the next piece of advice is there are things that you can be doing if, let's say, and you don't have the opportunity to um, have an internship because the internship was taken away because of the the pandemic or there aren't as many opportunities that are out there now. There are ways for you to sharpen your skills by um, taking certain online courses um, and by watching certain videos and kind of staying up to date on the industry that you're trying to get into. Um, and using that information to build connections. LinkedIn is a great resource uh, and for people to be connecting with people, talking about uh, people who have the the same interests as them Um, and using this time and to kind of do that because this is the time where people have kind of channeled a lot of their energy into online platforms. Um, So whether that is Zoom, whether that is Instagram, whether that is LinkedIn, or whether that is Facebook, like people this is becoming the main means of connection for a lot of people that this is the time for you to take advantage of building those connections on there. So hopefully when things start progressing more towards um, what it used to be, um, then you've already kind of put in the work to build certain relationships that you didn't have beforehand. So it puts you in a much better position once things start opening up. 
Understood. I, I think that's a great positive perspective, something that people can actually kind of reach out for. Um, I know that you obviously do this for a living. So if, if any of your listeners had any specific questions for you about a, a, a role or something that they might want to get into, are you receptive to that? Absolutely. Most of the people know how to reach out to me. <laughs> um, I am pretty active on It's just on, at EmacFreezy, right? At Dr. EmacFreezy pretty soon? Uh, pretty soon. I mean, I still have a couple years to go. <laughs> but yes, um, I should probably save that name on Instagram so nobody takes it. <laughs> Like, I can tell it's a very popular that. name. I, I I don't uh, think so. I I mean, you can get verified on Twitter, but I don't think we're at that level yet. Nah, nah, not yet, but soon though. A couple months. Yeah, oh, a couple months. Couple months. <laughs> so shifting, honestly, from sort of this professional doctor, Emac Freezy, back to uh, the child you version of Emac Freezy, mm-hmm. which I think there's some crossover. Um, I think I'd be doing a disservice if we didn't get into a little bit of your upbringing and your past, where you came from, where this all started, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think from your move to America? Obviously, you're from Ghana, for those who don't know. I think yes. you might have mentioned it before. What was the hardest part of moving to America? If anyone kind of remembers what it was like to go through like your adolescent years, right? Picture that, where you're going through a lot of changes mentally and physically. I was about 12, 13 years old, and I was about 6'1", 6'1", 6'2", um, 100 and like less than 130 pounds, right? Okay. Um, going through all those changes and then being picked up from an environment that you were so comfortable in that you had a support system that you were familiar with, right? And being placed into a totally new environment where not only were there people, more people that didn't look like you, but the people that looked like you did not connect with you because there, and I quickly learned this, that there was a difference between an African in America, which I was at that point, and an African American. And it's very, very different. Um, And that's something that I had to learn really quickly. So it was a challenge. It was a huge challenge at first um, to kind of be in such an environment where I felt like literally the only time I could be myself was when I came home. Because those were the people that knew the true me. And I had to kind of figure out who I was in these different groups. So who I was around African-Americans, who I was um, against the white students and who I was even as a student to the teachers, like that that was a different dynamic as well. So um, it was very, very difficult because if you throw the adolescent changes again, like I probably don't even remember like a lot of what it was like, like going through the adolescent years, but um, to throw that in the mix of all those changes that were happening, it was tough. So along those same lines then, so you're talking about how it was obviously difficult to just pick up and move to a new country. Uh, it couldn't have all been bad though, right? So what were some of your good memories about living in the States? What was your, let's say your least favorite thing and, and your absolute most favorite thing? Mm-hmm. I'll start with like my favorite memory of when I moved here and something that I was like, wow, this is awesome. And it's going to sound ridiculous to a lot of people, but the education system in Ghana was very different from what it was over here. And something that I was super excited for was when I was in class in middle school, 
a teacher, um, there was a test that was coming up and the teacher handed us a sheet called a study guide. And at that point in my life, study guides was not a thing. Like I didn't understand the concept of what like a study guide was. So I get this sheet, it was a study guide and it was a bunch of sentences and they were all numbered with blanks in them. So it was like, I don't know, blank was the father of this or this and this and this did blank to that in that story. And it was given to us as homework to fill in the blanks of this study guide and hand it in for credit, like the next class. But then that was given to us as the exam. And I was blown away. I was like, hold up. So you're trying to tell me that you're basing, you're giving me 98% of what the exam is going to be right. for me to go home, know exactly what's going to be on the exam turn it into you, get the grade, and then I get the exam. Welcome oh, to this, America. This is lit. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. Let's, and I felt like it was so easy because of that. Because back in Ghana, starting in elementary school, the teacher would come into class and just talk. Like they might write certain things on the board, but you are responsible for your own notes. So if the teacher is speaking... And you decide, shit, today I'm not going to do anything. Then you don't have the notes of what's going to be on, on the exam and you just get told that. So that was one thing that I distinctly remember that I was so excited about because it meant I didn't have to try as hard. And it was amazing. Um, but the bigger thing um, that I think was one of my favorite things about moving to America was the amount of opportunities that were here. Like back in Ghana, if you weren't extremely smart or you weren't a phenom in soccer, there weren't a lot of avenues for you to make it, right? Whereas over here, there were so many. Like you could be great at playing a musical instrument and um, get a scholarship to, to go to college and like play in the orchestra and like all these different things. Or you could be great in sports and then have all these leagues and avenues for you to make significant amount of money. Um, you could be extremely smart and then go go to some of these top schools and um, kind of make it in those industries. So there was just so much more opportunity here. Um which is what made me kind of pick up basketball because I didn't really pick up basketball until ninth grade because it just wasn't something that back in Ghana was a priority for the country as it is here where people like the National Basketball Association creates a lot of jobs, a lot of revenue for not just people, but entire cities and the entire country in itself. Um, so that's definitely like one of my favorite things about America that I distinctly remember kind of being like, wow, this is cool and I'm going to be okay because of this. Okay. And then if you had to, to put into words sort of something on the opposite side of that, that you're thinking you had a lot of opportunity, things were a little bit different here with the educational system. You kind of were looking positively toward that. What about some things that were not so great for you coming over here? The lack of acknowledgement for the country's history. Um, I remember, I think it was in eighth grade, being in like history class and kind of learning about like American history and how 
it almost felt like it was done intentionally of what they were going to spend more time on. Um, and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way back then. And even more so now, because it felt like they brushed on certain things like, like slavery, they would brush on that. They would brush on certain, um, like African-American heroes and just harp on, you know, like the George Washingtons and the Thomas Edison's and, and all those people. And we would talk about, and the trail of the tears, but like talk about it in a very interesting way that really wasn't what it was until I went to college and I was learning about it. And I was like, wait, this is what happened. Um, so I think that was weird because it felt almost uncomfortable in the classroom when topics about what this country has put certain populations through came up that it wasn't talked about as authentically which obviously creates certain things that we all know kind of came came to light um in this past year but yeah i remember it all the way back then kind of seeing some of that and just being like this this feels odd and it didn't only feel odd because I was one of the few black people in the class. It just felt odd from just like a human perspective, just looking at that being like, why are we talking about it this way? And even though I didn't have much context outside of mm -hmm. that, it just felt weird. Yeah, you know, there's something off when you're 12 years old, sort of sitting in a classroom, reading these books that old white people wrote about black people thinking that this, this doesn't seem right. Something yes. seems off here, yeah. right? And you can see that that's obviously continuing to be true now mm -hmm. you know you say that before when you were in school it was something that you noticed and, and now it's something that you continue to actually pay attention to can you yeah. talk just a little bit more about that i think the first time i heard this saying was what kind of put it into perspective for me when um the social studies teacher at the time said like history was written by the winners and i don't think i really understood it back then until i got much older mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you are, you are saying. And I think that's why it was being illustrated the way that it was back then, because the perspective of those events were not coming necessarily from people that went through those events. They were coming from people that came out on the great end of those events, trying to tell that story in a way that, in my personal opinion, the end goal is to still foster this kind of pride for this country, because I think when certain things about this, the history of this country comes out from some of the conversations that I've had, the fear seems to be people might be ashamed or like people might have like a negative kind of thought about what this country stands for and everything, which I don't think has to be the, the case at all. But I do think um, we need to acknowledge this country's history and it needs to be told from very different voices than we're used to being told in school. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, right, if you, you don't learn about history the right way, it's doomed to repeat itself and mm -hmm. it's continued to repeat itself all the time. And, and this year is no different. It's not just because more things happen this year. It's because they're amplified, because they're actually seen on a worldwide platform. Right. And more specifically, nobody had anything else to do except for to sit in their homes and actually pay attention to what was going exactly. on around them. Exactly. So if we continue to ignore these things, they're going to continue to repeat themselves. So 
kind of talking a little bit, uh, you know, we were getting some some positive in there a little bit. Now we're getting a little bit toward the negative. But this is the, the kind of questions that we actually did receive, which is great from some of the Instagram followers. Um, talking about some of these tougher questions, I do have just one more for you right now. And mm -hmm. this is just to talk a little bit more about some regrets that you might have in life. So maybe this could be something before you even came here. It could be something even more recently. What would you actually say is your biggest regret in life? And after you've kind of come up with that, what do you think you could have done differently? Mm -hmm. I'm not someone that has a ton of regrets in life. Um, and I want to start out by saying that because as much as there were a lot of things in life that did not go the way I wanted them to, um, I've always seen them and I've, I shouldn't say I've always seen them. I want to say I've grown to see them as situations that made me who I am today um, and that contributed to the person that, that I am today. So I don't call them regrets, but the first thing that jumps to mind, which I think I, I did touch on um, over on Instagram anyway, is... Um, my appreciation for time with um, loved ones. Um, I think, so my grandfather passed away back in 2018 and he was someone that like I cared about so much and he cared about me. So like I was his first grandchild um, or grandson, I should say. Um, and we just had a very unique bond, like something that I can't even put into words like we just understood each other and we would just like if if my grandma was my my grandma is a very dramatic person like drama filled person she would make the smallest situation the biggest deal in the entire world and growing up that's how it always was and my grandfather just had this cool calm and collected nature about himself that I aim to be um and I like that's what was instilled in me and is that if there was any crazy situation happening in my life when i think about him it's like okay how would he handle this because i know he would just like look at the situation and just be like so what can i do about it now like it happened and it sucks but what can i do about it now and i learned that from from him so when he passed away it felt like there was a huge part of me that was gone um, or a huge part that contributed contributed to who I was that was gone um, that I didn't have a chance to fully incorporate into me. Um, and it's because I thought I had time. Like I thought this was someone that was always going to be there. Um, and it sucked when like I still have his his voicemails of him just calling me and just leaving those those voicemails um sometimes he would leave prayers sometimes he would just leave to, to just check up on me and he always seemed to know when i needed to hear them which is why i still have them um and that's like something that i would never forget so that's my biggest regret is just not taking the time to appreciate someone like him um who was in my life for the right reasons and spending that that time with him yeah, absolutely. I think especially right now, given given how 2020 has gone, that's great advice to give to somebody that you don't know how long you have with somebody. You need to appreciate the moments that you're actually in mm -hmm. and you might not have been able to do that. So um, another question that's really along the same lines, and it really might be the same answer, but 
Um, what advice would you give to your younger self, young Eric, before Emac Freezy became? <laughs> let's let's talk pre Emac Freezy. Pre Emac Freezy, who's he? Who's that's that? right. What advice would you give? And a lot of a lot of times, this question is asked with the caveat that you'd be you know better off by telling yourself this. I want you yes. to be the same person you are today. Mm-hmm. Telling that person they're going to have the same result and everything, just something to make younger Eric's life a little bit easier. I think what I would tell younger Eric um, is something that younger Eric got from somewhere already, um, but younger Eric didn't really incorporate that into his life till much later. And that's his opinion of himself should matter more than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was growing up being in the environments that I was in. And this is something that started not just when I came here, even all the way back in Ghana. Um where I was so concerned about how other people saw me. I was so concerned about what other people thought that I didn't know who I was because who I was was always dependent on like people and solely dependent on that. And I think there is there is a difference between like code switching um, and kind of being in different cultures and a difference between not knowing who you are and just trying to like formulate a sense of who you are based on what other people thought of you. And that's where I was. Um, And I would tell younger Eric that the person he saw when he looked in the mirror should come before what anyone else saw. I I still think that younger Eric's going to be a PhD either way. So it's not like he doesn't need too much help, luckily, but I think that might have been good advice to give there. (laughs) I agree. So uh, I think that the uh, one of the common themes from some of the questions that we got, so definitely learning about your upbringing, but maybe more importantly, who you are as a person today and how you got here. So something that a lot of people asked, um, apparently you have this this effect that you are always happy. Uh, there's, there's just kind of like a, a light shining on you at all times. I kind of agree with that. Can you talk a little bit about that though, right? Are you always this happy person? Are you always this TikToker, this uh, Kevin Hart impersonator, right? <laughs> are you always Emac or when do you take time to sort of wind down and to reflect and honestly to be sad it's okay to be sad can you talk a little bit about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's uh, i love that question because i think people look at social media and not just my social media just look at social media in general and it's easy to look at that and believe that that is the full reality of people's lives um Social media, especially what I put on social media, is mostly just what my highlight reel is. So it's the best moments that I'm trying to to put out there um, to hopefully make other people's, like put a little light in other people's lives, right? So if it's doing that, I am happy with it. But on the other side of that too, like I'm, I get sad just like everyone else. Um, And I don't necessarily show that on those platforms, but I take the time to be sad. And it sounds weird, but when a situation happens to me that doesn't go the the way that I want it to, I spend time in that experience. Like I spend time in that frustration. I spend time in that anger. I spend time in that, in that sadness for me to fully feel what it is. Cause I can't, I don't ever want to be numb 
to certain things, right? Um, I don't want to be numb to certain situations because I think that will affect my empathy towards other people. So I do spend time like feeling my authentic emotions up to a certain point, right? Because then I think about, okay, so what can I control? Um, And that's something that has been instilled or was instilled in me from my grandfather, which is why I am the way that I am. And I may seem like someone who's super positive all the time, which most of the time I am. Um, But there are times where I do need that time to myself to be in the my authentic feelings of that moment so I can kind of conceptualize where I need to go from there. Um, and the things that I can control, I do something about it. And the things that I can't, I have to let go. Um, and it's something that took practice. It wasn't something that I just woke up one, one day and I was like, oh, I can let this shit go, so bye. Um, but it's something that that took practice and some days are harder than, than others to do that specifically. Um, but no, I'm not happy all the time, but I do make an effort to put myself first in those situations where I am not, because if I don't put myself first in those situations, I can't help anyone else in that situation, which, which I love doing. Um, like I love the counseling aspect of the job that I do. I love the counseling aspect of the, the master's program that I went through all that, but I can't do that work well if I'm not taking care of myself. So I make sure to put myself first when I'm in those situations so I can be positive. Right. Understood. Absolutely. And I think you have a unique perspective too. You've mentioned the term code switching actually. Mm -hmm. And I have a follow-up question about that. I only have the perspective of what it's like to be a male in today's society, right? Um, Some people grow up in a household where you're not allowed to have certain emotions because you're a man. And, And everybody can picture me putting up my air quotes because you're a man. But from your actual perspective, I know that this is, it's also, uh, it's, it's different when you're in the black community. So you're talking about, you kind of have to act a certain way when you're with the people that are around you that are white and a certain way when the people around you that are black. So it's almost like you have this issue, right, where you're a male and you're a black man and you can't be emotional. So how has that affected you? That's a deep question, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, code switching kind of started from a place of necessity. Um, I felt like it was something that I had to do to almost get to where I needed to get to. Um, so again, like plopping someone like me, like an African, like a little African boy, well, not little, it's <laughs> a pretty large human, but um, um, like a young person, like a young African male in an environment where he did not fit in anywhere. Um, Cause I went to like uh, um, Salkin Valley High School, which was um, a predominantly white high school. So it started there to where I had to figure out, like based on people that look like me, even though we didn't have that same like connection that I had with people back home, I started to learn certain things about their culture that I was able to communicate better with them in a certain way. Um, and then kind of that translates to other groups as well to where I'm able to communicate better with them because they receive that information in a different way um, than other groups would. So it came out of necessity to kind of 
build a sense of who I was in that in- environment by being able to communicate with different people um, in the ways that they receive it best. So that's kind of where the code switching kind of started for me. And as I grew up, I started to learn results of people not having experience receiving information the way that they want to receive it. Um, and that's where, like, like you said, being a black man in this country, I can't kind of illustrate certain types of emotions um, that other people may get away with kind of showing, right? Because if I had a terrible day and I kind of cross paths with um, someone who may not want to, who may not have experience receiving information from someone that looked like me in that manner, it may become a life or death situation, right? Um, so that's where code switching still is a necessity to where I almost sometimes have to change the way I deliver certain mm-hmm. parts of me so other people kind of feel comfortable receiving that that information in that way. Sometimes it's it's not ideal, honestly. Sometimes I just want to be like, no, this is this is how I want to say this. This is this is how I want to be. Um, but I understand, like I understand, I, I understand why certain things happen the way that that they are. And sometimes it does need to be, like, it, it is a necessity. And other times, it's really not. And people just need to be more empathetic towards each other. I again, your unique perspective is something that I can't empathize with. It's important to use to distinguish here between empathy and sympathy. Right. I, I can sympathize with that. I can right. try to understand where you come from, but I'm not going to pretend that I can put myself in your shoes. It's it's not appropriate for me to do that. But what I would say is, I think it's important for people like us to have more conversations like this, mm-hmm. where I can maybe understand a little bit more where you're coming from. I don't go through any of that. Mm-hmm. I am the most privileged person in America. I'm a white man and I know that. And I think it's important for the rest of the white men listening to also understand that and be okay with that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We are a very privileged privileged people. But if you can just take a little bit of time to understand from other people's perspective exactly what they go through, I think that will go a long way. And it just takes having these kinds of conversations or or any kind of conversations to where it's not attacking. If I wanted to be offended, I can be offended all day long about half the shit I see pop up on my phone, on news sites, on, on, on social media, on all that. But I always have to take a step back and really understand, okay, how is this impacting me right now? And what can I do about it realistically? And a lot of times it is having some of these these conversations where I reach out to someone and kind of create this the space and to have it. Other times there isn't much I can do. So instead of channeling that into like typing like a negative comment or like saying saying something back because I I'm using that my negative feeling or my hurt feeling um, to kind of put that onto someone else. Um, I always think of using that in just just a better way to have these these kinds of conversations. And so people hear me in a non-threatening way. This might be a bit of a curveball, um, but how do you, like what's your advice for, for how people can have these conversations then? Mm-hmm. People that don't know each other, obviously you and I know each other, we've known each other for a long time. Let's think about the most extreme case maybe. Somebody on one side who's from a certain place, they're, 
there are no people of color that are there. Mm -hmm. This person has been, it's been ingrained in their head a certain thing about another group of people. So you've got kind of this person, you won't stereotype or anything like that. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you have a person that is a transplant from another country that is coming here, but is an American citizen, let's say. Mm -hmm. How do you envision those two people actually having a conversation? Just like it is expected for someone like me who's in a minority group to have someone empathize with with me and kind of try to understand where I'm coming from, I think it also does need to be the, the other way around. Um, and an example that, that I can give is when I first moved here, a lot of things were said about what people thought about someone moving from, from Africa. And the interesting thing about that is not only did it come from white people, it came from black people as well, to where jokes were made about whether I ride elephants or whether I like lived in a hut or like any of that stuff. And at first it was like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Like, like how how are they think like how are they coming up with this like stuff? We drive a Honda. Like what are you right. talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. And the more I thought about it and the more I asked myself that and the more I kind of exposed myself to the content that was being fed to the people who were around me at, at that point being in this country, the more I understood why. Because what they saw on TV about what people from Africa were, were exactly what they were telling me. So was it offensive? Absolutely. Was it frustrating? Hell yeah, it was. But I was able to have that conversation to let them know that I, I understand why you're seeing it this way. Because you watched some documentary or you saw some give 30 cents to this kid commercial. So you just thought all of us are down, down there that way. But I went to private school. I had a driver that took me to and from school every single day. Like... I was one of the most fortunate people um, in the community that, that I was in, that I grew up in, that people hear that or heard that at that point and were like, wait, you had cable television? You've played the same PlayStation 2 games that, that I have? Like, you have AIM too? Like, <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I had all that stuff. And I, I can understand why you you don't think that. But I was able to kind of put myself in their position to try and understand, okay, why, why is this happening the way that it is? And it's not easy to do that. Um, and it wasn't easy back, back then too, but that's how we can have these kinds of conversations where I'm not attacking somebody for being or saying something offensive. We're actually having a conversation about it where I could also say, cause what I saw on TV about you is, is this, is it true? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but we don't know that until we sit down and create a space where we can authentically have that kind of conversation. Absolutely. I think that's, uh, could be a theme of, of what could come in 2021. I think a lot of people are, are doing this whole, well, 2020 was a total shit show. Let's just assume 2021 <laughs> is going to be better. And that's kind of important to hold on to is the idea of it can't get worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so things need to be better. So looking back a little bit on 2020, if we can for a second, sort of like a rapid fire here, <laughs> what is one word that you would use to describe the year 2020? 
revealing. Say more. Revealing. Um, I think this year really showed what people are capable of, what certain people are are capable of, um, what this country is capable of overcoming, um, what this world is capable of going through. Um, I think it just revealed a lot about what people really thought about others and how people can come together for it and for different causes. Um, and it kind of elevated it in, in a way that I personally had not seen before. Um, so I think it was very re- revealing, especially in some of my friend groups, like having some, some conversations and seeing some of the things that were posted um, on social media during some of these times, it was just very revealing to see where people and groups of people stood on the different things that came up throughout this year. Right. And I think along those same lines, I think a word that I would use to describe 2020 would be divisive. So Mm. thinking about from your own perspective, either at work, at the gym or anywhere else that you've been over the last year or so, how do you handle when people have opinions that you don't agree with? I'm talking about these people who actually, it's not just somebody that from a distance you might hear that they say something you don't agree with. They like a different team than you do. I'm not talking about that. I'm more so talking about the the type of people who actually make it a point to bring it to your attention. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? The baseline that I have for engaging in those conversations is like, do these people believe in the decent treatment of all human beings? Because there are people that genuinely think that because people look a certain way, they shouldn't be treated decently. And that's the baseline, which is very minimal. Like it's, it's not generous, right? It's, it's not like, it's not a lot to say, I believe regardless of who you are, you need to be treated decently. Like, yes, actions have, have consequences, but you need to be treated decently regardless of who you are, what Mm -hmm. your sexual orientation is, what, what your gender is, whatever. If we're on the same page with that, I can engage in any conversation mm-hmm. with you about whatever your your beliefs are about different policies, blah, 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 all that. Um, it's people who don't have that kind of core moral and that core value that I just I, I, I don't engage. And even if it is something that is brought up to me, as soon as I'm able to identify that that doesn't match up, I don't waste energy. And, and it's not something that like frustrates me or hurts me. Um, is just something that I know if you can't believe in that, um, there's just no point. And that's where like Facebook can kind of get crazy with some, some of these comments happening in that way. Cause if you look at it, a lot of times these arguments get so heated because of that missing fundamental moral that is not shared. Where do you think that comes from for you, though, thinking about that I'm not going to engage because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. You don't have that bone in your body that says I need to set this person straight or my opinion is right and yours is wrong Mm -hmm. or anything along those lines. Where do you think that comes from? Is that something that from when you were growing up, you know, your mom taught you that way? You know, how is she with these types of scenarios? What do you think there? Um, Yes, definitely learned a lot of that from my mom. Um, and my grandfather, like, like I said earlier, but specifically with me, when I used to get frustrated about certain things, it had a lot to do about me than it had to do with the situation in itself. When I used to feel the need to engage, when I used to feel the need that, oh, I had to really get at this thing, 
it wasn't for some like greater good reason, even though like I wanted to believe that it wasn't for some greater good reason. It was for my own satisfaction because I wanted to satisfy something in myself that I wasn't comfortable with in myself. And it's a tough thing to do because then you're acknowledging your own vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is again, it's, it's just very difficult to do. Um, so with practice, like I'm able to see that, okay, I'm not engaging in this because I know who, where I stand in this and I know who I am relating to this, but I don't need to convince you because one, it's not going to do anything for me. And two, if you were someone that was that important to me, we would be able to have this conversation in a way where we leave with, with respect for each other. I'm not going out of my way to hash out an, an issue with like a social media friend or like some person that engaged in that, a comment that I posted on um, social media because they thought something differently. Like you're, you're allowed to think something different. Like this is, this is what a democracy is. As much as we want everybody to be kumbaya and like holding hands and like everything is great for, for everyone, I'm not naive to, to thinking that that's what's going to happen. So if someone does have a different opinion, they're entitled to it. And I don't have to waste energy trying to change everyone's mind. I don't know if the world's ever going to get there, but that's kind of a goal. I think, honestly, overall, I think the running theme that you continue to talk about is perspective and empathy. Mm-hmm. Understand from other people's perspective, what they might be going through and actually put myself in their shoes. Right. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that golden rule um, that a lot of people abide by, treat others like you'd like to be treated. Do you sort of have a motto, a creed that you live by every day that that really keeps you going? I am someone that takes from a lot of different places because um, I think living by one kind of creed like that, to me, is just very limiting because it can't always be applied to every situation, right? So um, I think do unto others what you want others to, to do on, onto you is great, is absolutely great. Um, and that is a value of mine. Um, but it's not like, okay, this is the, the thing that I wake up every day. Like, this is exactly what I'm, what I'm going to strive for. It just depends on the day. Um, so I don't have this one thing that I absolutely live by. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a mixture of different things that I have learned from different people, different situations, different mentors, um, that I just kind of use to motivate me as I go on in um, life and to get those different sources of motivation and energy to do some of the things that I'm doing. So we'll have to wait for the memoir to come out to actually be able to get some of that in print. Maybe exactly. you know, yeah. one day, I, I could be an author one day. Like, I, I mean, th- you know, not to knock you down. Anybody could be an author. It's not. You know, okay. You All right. <laughs> what? I did not think you, pub- you publish your own books. You know, you don't have to. Yeah. But like, I could, an author. I, could, I could spit some facts in some books. I, I, I believe that. I really do. I do believe that. Do I, you though? I do. I do. I think Would you have. You buy it? No, I don't buy books though. That's not it's not on you. You know, it's not like it's not something specific about you. I didn't buy Barry Obama's book. I'm not gonna buy your book. You know what I mean? If if I if he's okay. a, if he's a 13 out of 10 and I put you at like a six and a half out of 10, right? Uh, okay. He's twice yeah, as good as fair. you, and yeah. I'm not gonna buy his book. Of course, yeah, I'm not gonna buy that's yours. That's actually pretty good though. Yeah. Just, yeah. 
Yeah, he's probably a little bit more than that. But you, you get okay, it, though, right? Okay. It's not like it's not like it has to do with you. Maybe if you narrated the audiobook of your own book, I would probably. Ooh, I would love that. I would have her listen to it and then tell me what the well, spark I would notes buy the were. Book. Let me just say, Thank I you. would buy the book. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But she'd only read the first chapter, though. So. <laughs> Have the audiobook just that's right. There you go. That's, right. that's the future. I'd support. We don't need the book. That's, that's what the podcast is on. for. <laughs> you get that. So I kind of have one more idea of how we can, before we actually wrap this up, just a little bit more insight into what it means to be Eric. You're unprepared for this, but are you game? He says yes. So what I was hoping to do here, so we haven't really talked a whole lot about your immediate family and some of the relationships that have shaped you. So what I'd like to do is to take, I was going to do one word, but let's do like 30 seconds where I'm going to say a person and you're going to tell me what that person means to you mm-hmm. and how they have helped to shape who you are. Okay. All right. And those people are going to be listening. So okay. are they? No, we'll no pressure. I doubt it. No, I doubt they're going to be listening, but we'll start, we'll start with a softball, a nice and easy one. Right. Your mother. My mom was there through everything. Um, she would take the skin off of her back for me, was just there throughout everything. My mom had to play the role of my dad and my mom. So that's something that I have seen that makes me want to be this super parent when I grow up and kind of be there for my future family one day. So, yeah. Future family is next. Um, So we're going to definitely get into a little bit about what's in the future for Eric. But before we do, you you did mention in that that your mom had to act as both parents. Mm -hmm. So can you give me just a little bit about what your relationship was like with your dad as well? I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. And I will say um, to give him the little bit of credit that he should have. Um, he was there financially. So um, I didn't grow up like needing like the basic necessities um, because he was providing financially, but that was pretty much it. Um, so I didn't have a father figure there to teach me like certain things that male figures are able to teach easier um, than, than my mom was and was able to. So that lack of presence there kind of forced me to seek that from other people, from, from coaches, from, um, some of my friends, parents, and, um, some of my, my friends, father figures and all that. Um, so that relationship was very rocky because of that. And I held that against him for so long because all I wanted was a father. Like I wanted someone who I could go to and talk about the things that you would talk to your your father about. Um, and I didn't have that. And that was painful growing up because I saw fathers coming to um, some of my, my teammates games and um, just fathers being there for, for some of my friends that I didn't have. Um, so it took a long time for me to let that go and be okay with the fact that I'm never going to have that. Um, but it taught me exactly what I didn't want to be. And that's something that honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I am grateful for that because my goodness, I can't wait to be a father, partly because of that. I can't wait to be a father because like I'm awesome and I want to be a father. But um, that experience with my own dad 
um, has taught me exactly what I should not be as and a father. I completely understand that, actually. From the reverse, for me, it was, was my mom who wasn't around. But I, I understand where you're coming from. How much, what level of petty do you think that it is for you at this point in your life right now that you want to actually show your dad look look where I am now and then once you have your own kids and stuff like that do you think there's still a little bit of that in the back of your head at oh, least yes. yeah oh absolutely. I think it's natural yeah absolutely um and that's something that I will not shy from um there is that little bit of pettiness in the back of my head to show that like I can be the parent who is supportive financially supportive emotionally um for their children and be present. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 the the key thing. And be present, and still be able to make the the games, and still be able to have these conversations during their their first breakups and mm-hmm. um, during like their their first fight with with their best friend, and um, during their first time being busted at a party, and then having to come come home and then have it like all of those things being there. Um, Yes, there is an ultimate level of of pettiness to be able to do that and do that well, Mm -hmm. not just for me, but to also show myself and him as well that, yes, this was something that was possible that you failed at, and I'm going to show you how it's done. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, I mean, your mom is walking proof, first of all, that Mm -hmm. a a parent can exist that's supportive and also good at what she does, Mm -hmm. right, and and is present. I know it's different for everybody, so it's not like I'm knocking everybody who's ever... Um, had other things going on in their life or anything. But when it comes to single parents, shout out to single parents who are actually able to do it all on their own. Oh Superman goodness. and Superwoman yeah. to be able to actually be present. Um, so you can channel a whole lot of that as well. So speaking of future family, things like that, I think uh, next on the list has to be Kat, right? So can you, mm-hmm. can you tell the guests just a little bit about you know Kat, your relationship, what she means? <laughs> Catherine is the love of my life. Um, like... That's my best friend. Um, that's my confidant. That is my motivator. It's your ride or die. Um, that is my ride or die. Like Catherine and I have been through some shit. <laughs> <laughs> we have been through some shit together. The good, the bad, the, the ugly. And she is somebody that like when she came into my life, like made me want to be better, like immediately. Um, and that's part of where I get my motivation from because she's someone that took me for the good and the bad and like loved me anyway because of it. See, he can be romantic too. It's not all Emac Freezy, you know what I mean? He can do it, everybody. So um, I think that, I don't know if she actually listens to the show, but I think your sister would yell at us if we didn't actually talk a little bit about <laughs> what it's like to be the sister of, uh, of Eric Franz. So um, what was your relationship like growing up? And, and I, I'm, I might be overstepping here thinking about, you know, when your dad wasn't really around in the picture mm-hmm. and you're your age gap isn't too big or anything like that but thinking about did you ever feel like you kind of had to step in in that in that male role yes my little sister and i growing up we didn't really like each other <laughs> you're not it's supposed just to the way that it was <laughs> um oh my goodness we were we were t- i was terrible to her <laughs> like i just wanted nothing to do with her um but as we grew up we started to form this bond this kind of like I got your back regardless of the situation. And 
it happened and i distinctly remember this we got into a fight and we were so mad at each other more like i was mad at her um and i was sitting on the couch like just watching tv and she came up next next to me and just like sat next to me and we were fine and i think from that point on and it sounds so small but from that point on it was like regardless of like this is we are it like it's it's not like we we have this big family where i can go up to my older brothers because mm-hmm. like i'm fighting with my sister or anything like it like it was just us um so we've had that kind of mindset since then to where we're always looking out for for each other where she would just call me out on my shit all the time mm-hmm. um so when i'm doing something great she is there to be like damn you really killed that when i do something stupid she'd be like yeah i probably wouldn't want to done that <laughs> she's always been that reality check mm-hmm. for me to where yes emac freezy can get into his head sometimes but she will be there to bring him right back down I think this might be this might be like one one step too deep a little bit, but do you think that there's something to the dynamic of siblings that have an absent parent or an upbringing that they had to fend for themselves like a little bit, that they have just a different dynamic once they g- uh, gain an appreciation for adulthood, and and that might be where some of this comes from. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any truth to that? Yes, absolutely. I think when when we got older we kind of had a different level of appreciation for each other and the roles that we played. Um, and I don't even know if <laughs> she, she might not be okay with me talking about this, but do I care? No. Too late. Um, but there was a point in time where we went to one of our, our cousin's wedding. Um, he was, he was getting married and there was a part in the ceremony where like the father kind of walked the, the bride down, down the aisle Um And there was a time after that, it was like a father-daughter dance in the wedding. And I look over at her because I felt a feeling. And usually like I hear like twins kind of have that Mm -hmm. kind of like thing. But in that moment, I felt something. And I was like, I feel like something's happening right now. And I look over at her and I knew she was about to start crying. So, and I knew the reason why she was going to start crying because we're not close with our father. Mm -hmm. So when I looked over at her and I saw that coming, I right away just stopped everything I was doing and ran right next next to her. And we both just broke down. Mm -hmm. Um, And like that is, that was a depiction of, we understand the roles that we play in each other's lives is, has kind of evolved past just oh yeah that's my sister she's she's a knucklehead and we just kind of keep mm-hmm. it moving that there is just this level of we got each other that 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 moment showed that our roles have evolved mm-hmm. i i definitely feel for you on that i have uh, again my my own situation similar to yours in in that i i have a sister as well she's older but pretty close to the same age and then it was our mother who wasn't around so she really stepped into that role being being the mother she's a year and a half older than me and and practically raised me, right? So there was a, just a completely different dynamic. And I never fully appreciated it until adulthood. Mm-hmm. But I think in our case, once we grew to adulthood, there was just this appreciation that you have for this person that you sort of sacrificed some of your childhood, some of your formative years to actually help me and, and, to, and to make me a little bit better. So that I think there's a lot of 
I don't know, I'm not saying that your sister owes you anything, but you know, there's just like, I think that, I don't know if she's ever said it to you before about sort of thanking that older sibling for, for actually being there, even though you're a shithead when you were growing up. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. No, no doubt about that. So um, I think for like our, our 12 listeners who have, uh, who have reached this, who have, who have stuck around for all two hours of this so far, I think we owe it to them to probably wrap it up pretty soon here. So I want to, I, I did have some more questions that were submitted, but I think we might leave that for maybe some sort of a part two to this at some, some point down the, down the road where you can maybe get uh, like a better host, better co-host to come in this, this time, you know, maybe somebody who's not a white male, you know, might be good, a woman or a person of color, you know, get a little bit more woke in 2021. Woke into 2020. <laughs> I think that should be the theme, to be honest, uh, get a little bit more woke into 2021. That's going to be our 2021 motto. Yeah, if, if people are not woke at this point, <laughs> they're going to stay asleep. That's it. That's it. <laughs> There's no 2021. For but I, I, I think that we, we took a few hours here. We learned a little bit more about who Eric is as a person, where he came from, what he's about, what the podcast is about. So if you still have some questions, please feel free to send them over either to Eric directly, you know where to find him, or to the show's Instagram account itself. Look forward to more good episodes coming in 2021. If you have something you're interested in, send it. If you want to be on the show, send it. If you've got something that you you think you're really good at, you're really bad at, it doesn't matter. You're going to be on the show. So keep that in mind. Eric, anything that you'd like to say to the listeners before we head out? Just thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, I just see the numbers of people that are tuning in, listening to this, and it just... Uh, it makes my my heart happy and it makes me want to keep doing this. So um, thank you for making it to this point. Um, I really appreciate your your time and see you on the next one. And I'm getting paid for this, right? This isn't this is something Hell that no. you told me yeah. I'm gonna... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll make no money off of this. <laughs>